And so it's a great pleasure for me to introduce Brent Phillips. I'd also just like to acknowledge um, Melissa Martin, who actually is, is going to be interpreting uh, Brent's address for you, because he will be speaking, he, he will be communicating in Auslan, and also Sarah Howell, who uh, is, um, is basically signing um, for the uh, guests who are here today. Brent's an outstanding Australian whose primary source of communication is Auslan. Um, a lot of people don't understand that Auslan is not English. Auslan is a visual language, and uh, whilst Brent obviously communicates very well in writing and in reading through uh, English, he has his primary source of communication is Auslan. He was born deaf and is uh, part of a th third generation uh, deaf family. He went to school in, at St John's in Dandenong, which is a Catholic mainstream school which did have a deaf department, and he graduated with a VCE in 1996. He then went on to obtain his BA at Melbourne University and subsequently did an MDA, MDA, MBA at Victoria University. More interestingly, he, um, he, last year he graduated uh, as a member of the Institute of Company Directors. He did the Company Directors course. And at the same time, um, Hilary Fisher and Gavin Balharry, who are here today and both of whom are deaf, um, graduated at the same time. And as a matter of interest, Jim Orchard, who is one of our members who you all know, Jim actually graduated at the same event. And Brent, Brent was actually asked to give the graduation, the address of the graduation dinner of that year. Um, uh, Brent was a young Deaf Australian of the Year in 1999. He was actually a state finalist and the Victorian Young Business Person of the Year in, in, in around about the same time. He's been president of Deaf Sports Australia for seven years and he's currently Director of Language Partnerships and Innovation at Expression Australia. So I couldn't think of anything, anybody more qualified to actually speak about his chosen subject, which is Deaf Australians, a cultural linguistic minority or a disability group. Thank you, Brent. We'll just um, yes, test that. Thank you, Gary, for your introduction. And thank you to President Robert. It is a, a, quite a privilege to be here today. Before I go into the theme of my speech here today, I would like to acknowledge Tilman Ralph. I'm sitting next to a Nobel Peace Prize laureate, and I would like to acknowledge the contribution you've made to the global community. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and their elders past and present, as well as acknowledging our deaf leaders and deaf elders from past and present who fought for equal access and for better lives and opportunities to create the organisations we have today and the lives we have today as deaf individuals. Thank you for inviting me to speak at your lunch today. 
I was asked if I attend Rotary and this is the first formal gathering I've been at and it's quite a privilege to be here today. In the past, I have had positive impacts because of Rotary and that's been at a personal level. I've had friends who have gone through the Rotary International Exchange Program, deaf people who have gone to other countries on an exchange program and they have spoken highly of the positive benefits and the impacts that that had on their lives as young deaf leaders in the deaf community. I myself went to Taipei in 2004 for an international deaf leadership camp, which was funded by Rotary International. That camp had a significant impact on my professional development and my own personal growth, as well as my leadership skills. Around 20 or 30 countries were represented at that camp. And I still maintain friendships with many of those on a global scale. I would like to acknowledge the important work that you all do around leadership. And I would also like to mention that some of you may or may not know you have a positive impact on the development and growth of many young deaf and hard of hearing people. So I thank you. So who am I? Gary mentioned earlier that I'm a third generation deaf person. Both my parents are deaf and my grandparents. I married a deaf person and I have two children, but they can both hear, but Auslan is their first language. I grew up in a mainstream school. In Victoria, there are a number of deaf schools or institutes for deaf people only, but I attended a mainstream environment. It was not a signing environment. We were taught using the oralism method. Looking back on my childhood, my family being deaf meant that I had access to sign language at home. I always had access to communication with my family, my, my parents and my brother. At school, we were not allowed to sign. We were prohibited from signing. And back in that day, there were no interpreters. So I had 12 years of schooling without access to my first language. So from time to time, there would be a note taker or there would be a teacher who would provide additional support. But for many years, I would sit in my classroom and try and work out how I was going to really take the information I was being taught on board. I then went to the University of Melbourne, which was the first time I had interpreters. My ability to contribute to discussion and ask questions was finally achieved at university level, not my 12 years of schooling. I never had the opportunity to ask questions in school or challenge discussions. I finally was able to do that at university and that's where I thrived. Upon completion of university, I studied criminology and then I decided to go to England for two years on a working holiday, which many young Australians tend to do. It was a great experience for me to see the deaf, a deaf community on a different scale. Upon my return, I worked in public service as for the Department of Sport and Recreation for seven years before I then started working at Expression Australia, where I remain. Looking back on my journey, I feel fortunate that I had parents who were entirely committed to my education and provided me access to communication. They encouraged me to pursue my ambitions and they've always supported me. It's important to acknowledge that only 5% of deaf people are born to deaf parents. 95% are born to parents who are hearing, like Gavin and Hillary, who are with us today. 
that's where there are significant challenges around parents getting the best information they can in order to support their children in their early childhood communication and learning. A large part of Hillary Gavin and my successes are from our parents and their commitment to supporting us and learning how to sign. That has played a critical role in us being able to learn and grow and access information and services. Gary mentioned the AICD course that Gavin, Hillary and I had the pleasure of attending together. Looking back, it was an eye-opener and it was an invaluable experience. Not only the theory of governance, but the networking opportunities and the impacts that we had on our colleagues in that course. At the end of the course, a lot of people said they learnt so much about the language of Auslan and they learnt about the deaf community and working with deaf people and they recognised that we do have skill sets and that we're talented people in the community. It's not always visible, but there are plenty of, there's plenty of potential and skills out there. That was one of the best courses I've ever attended because of my personal professional development, but also the impact that I could have on my hearing colleagues. It's important to acknowledge there is a spectrum of deafness. There are people who have a hearing loss that may be due to age, people wear hearing aids, or people who lose their hearing from workplace incidents. There are those who grew up hard of hearing who can speak on the phone and they can read people's lips and speak for themselves. And there are those who are culturally and linguistically deaf. They're members of the deaf community. They grow up signing. And that's the area I'll be talking about today, those who are culturally and linguistically deaf. When I talk about Auslan, it's an abbreviation for Australian Sign Language, which is the national language of the Australian deaf community. It is recognised as a community language, and that was done in 1981-1982. It's not recognised as an official language because we only have one official language, and that is English. We are recognised as a community language, like the Indigenous languages in Australia. Auslan is a visual and spatial as well as gestural language. It's a form of communication. It's not English on the hands. It is a completely different grammar set, structure, syntax. You can't write Auslan. They are completely different languages, Auslan and English. We have around 15,000 deaf people in Australia who identify as being deaf and using Auslan. But when we think about each individual person and their local networks, families, neighbours, school, work colleagues, the number 15,000 increases a lot when you think about those who know and use Auslan. It would be in the thousands above. Over the last few years, there's been a significant increase in the number of people who want to learn Auslan and who understand our language. Some of that has been through the presence of interpreters on television in emergency situations. You may have seen in floods or bushfires, there's the premiere with an interpreter on screen. That provides critical access for deaf people in times of emergency. It can't, we cannot understate the impact it has on the mainstream community as well. To increase the awareness of deafness in the community, and I've seen some heads nodding around here, you can see the impact it has. Auslan is the sixth most taught language in Victorian schools out of 50 languages. We're sixth. 
There's around 19,000 hearing students who are learning Auslan last year, in 2017. And those numbers are on the incline. Expression Australia is where I work, and we have, 100, uh, we have had a 180% increase in enrolments for those wanting to learn how to sign. There is a, a, a huge interest and desire in the community to learn and know our language. And it's an excellent situation to be in. More and more you go to cafes and restaurants and you can see people who can use basic Auslan to communicate. And it has a significant impact on my capacity to feel valued as a community member. The role of Auslan interpreters is vital. They are becoming, they became professional interpreters over the last 20, 30 years and it is a, a, a very structured career pathway. They bridge two languages, Auslan and English, and they bridge those who are deaf and those who can hear. Today we have the presence of Mel and Sarah interpreting for us all. With the increase of those who are interested in wanting to learn Auslan, there's been an increase of, on the demand of Auslan interpreting. Some of that is because uh, more deaf individuals are going to university and they need interpreters there. Some is because organisations are more aware of their legal obligations to provide access. And some of that is because of the Commonwealth Government funding, the NDIS and the employment, will be the Employment Assistance Fund, which is an employment program to provide funding to those who work in, in workplaces. And the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which everyone pays 0.5% of their tax goes towards the scheme in terms, in, in order to support those with a disability. And I'll talk more about that later. We are seeing the demand increase in terms of the, de uh, the need of Auslan interpreters. And we're seeing deaf people now being included in the community and society being more and more aware of their obligations and responsibilities to providing access. When we talk about the Australian deaf community, it is a really close-knit and structured community. It's a microcosm of the mainstream community. We have our own sporting clubs, we have our own theatre and art groups, we have the LGBTIQ community within our community, just like the mainstream community. We have diverse interests, lifestyles, and people succeed in different paths in life. We have a quadrennial deaf sporting event every four years. The deaf community get together and there are 16 or 17 different sports represented. We have the International Deaf Olympic Games, which is the equivalent of the Olympic Games. And Melbourne hosted it here in 2005, the Deaf Olympics. There are around 10,000 athletes, officials and visitors to our city. The, econo the economical impact was 30 was $30 million back into our community. So we do contribute to the, the economy here in Victoria. In Melbourne, we have the world's oldest deaf sporting club, which is the Melbourne Deaf Cricket Club, which was established in the 1880s. It is the oldest deaf sporting club in the world in Kew, here in Melbourne. There's also theatre, which is quite strong in the deaf community. There's the Australian Theatre of the Deaf, which is auspiced by Arts Access Victoria. 
which I am pleased to see you have a partnership with. They're a great organisation to work with. They do a lot of work to increase the awareness of, of our community language in schools and they travel as the Australian Theatre of the Deaf. Within the deaf community, we feel at home and we feel safe and empowered. We feel informed and we have our support networks. But when we venture out to access services and information, that's where we face barriers. The majority of deaf community members do not have English as their first language. It is generally Auslan or a lot of deaf people struggle with no language until later in life they have access to Auslan or English. So there are literacy issues amongst the deaf community. It varies from person to person. Expression Australia do a lot of work partnering with government organisations, businesses and institutions to ensure their information is accessible in Auslan. And that's done through video productions. You may see on websites, sometimes there's a picture-in-picture picture of, of, of someone signing. And it is critical to be able to provide information to the deaf community in their first language. All of this information has a direct impact on these individuals, whether they're government announcements, emergencies. We work with those organisations to create the information in an accessible way. In the deaf community, we have a number of members who are high achievers. And you may not be aware, we currently have a deaf youth governor of Victoria. Olivia Beasley was elected by her peers at the recent youth parliament to become the youth governor for the next 12 months. And she will work closely now with our current governor, Linda Dassault, to in relation to youth issues and anything youth related. In fact, tomorrow we have uh, Harry and Megan visiting our city and Olivia will be meeting them. That role is an incredible role and the deaf community are really looking up to her in that role. We had a, a deaf young Australian of the year in 2015 and people who have been in the Olympics, we have deaf lawyers. There are lots of people in the deaf community who do succeed at a high level. And they forge a challenged pathway to get to where they are. Technology has played a huge part, a significant role in the, achieve, uh, the ability for us to access information. And a quick example of that is my grandfather was deaf. And in the 1930s, 1940s, when he wanted to find out the footy scores, he would walk to his neighbour's house every quarter with a pen and paper and his neighbour would listen to the radio and then write down the scores, Geelong 37, South Melbourne 41. And my grandfather would walk to his neighbour. Now I can access the footy scores at, the, at, the, at just a glance at my wrist. I can see the scores. And it shows how technology's evolved. But... Technology has enabled us to communicate and connect through Facebook, FaceTime, Skype, SMS. The opportunities are, are everywhere. But we do acknowledge that as technology advances, there is more of a, a lean towards voice activation, like Siri or Alexi. And that type of technology, while great, means that it puts us at a disadvantage again. Um, in, I'll wrap up shortly, Gary. 
so in a, we're in a unique position where we do, straggle the, we do straddle the disability and the cultural worlds. I, we strongly identify as, like, as a Greek community where they have their own community, they have their own centre and we have our own culture and centre and the like. It's only when we need to access information and services that we are then branded disabled. But disability can be seen from different perspectives. Within this room, I have a wealth of information to share with all of you. But if there was no interpreter here today, who would be disabled? Would it be me or would it be you? So it's all about perceptions. Our challenge is to also work with the medical field to work with them and their obsession with curing deafness rather than acknowledging that there is a wealth of knowledge in our community. Only last week we received an email from a grandmother and in her email she said, my daughter recently gave birth to a son and he is deaf. He's now four months old and profoundly deaf. He will now be fitted with hearing aids but the doctor told us to not sign with him. They say we need to focus on speech. What should I do? And this is quite typical of many contacts we get from parents and grandparents. The medical field focus, and they have a bias, on fixing deafness. But in actual fact, we have a beautiful world and community and culture and language and lots of deaf people who do achieve with the right supports and balance of information and balanced approach to education and growing up, they will be fine. There are so many examples that we hear like this. But lastly, before I close, Gary, my, when my daughter was born, she was, she's five now, so five years ago there was the National Newborn Hearing Screening Program. So when your baby's one or two days old, they do hearing screening to identify if they're deaf or hearing. When my, when my daughter was screened, they did the screening and straight away looked at us and said, congratulations, and held out their hand to shake our hand. And we felt conflicted, congratulations, she's deaf, or congratulations, she can hear. And they said, well, she can hear. And that has such a huge impact on us that they were congratulating the fact that our daughter could hear. When in actual fact, that was the last thing we cared about. She was healthy, she had 10 fingers, 10 toes. And it made me wonder what the nurse would say to parents whose baby is diagnosed as deaf, would they say, I'm sorry? Which straight away from day one of that child's life, they're set up in a negative way. Okay, so I um, would like to acknowledge the opportunity to speak to you all today. And I hope I've provided a bit of insight into the deaf community and our language and our culture. And that deaf people do achieve a lot in life and we have such a beautiful world, but it is important that we can coexist with the mainstream community and that we work together and the more people out there who are aware and understand and appreciate the deaf community and our culture and our language, the better we can all coexist together. So I'd like to thank Rotary for providing this time to me to make a small impact on you all and I hope it sends you home with some thoughts and reflections on what it's like to be a deaf Australian.